Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. My home group, we do, we're doing the book of John. And in the book of John, we find from the very beginning that John talked about Jesus being the light of the world. And we find how he gets his followers and his disciples ready to follow him. But in the book of John, there's eight major miracles that he does. And everybody follows him because of the miracles. But they follow him for the wrong reasons. And throughout the whole book, he does these miracles, and they have the wrong reasons why to follow Jesus. And really, in the end, even his own disciples leave him in the end, and he's crucified by himself. Uh, I'm going to leave you with this one question, and I'm going to play a video. Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ? A fan is simply defined as an enthusiastic admirer. I would have to say that for most of my Christian life, I haven't been much more than a fan of Jesus. I was born into a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. You know, my dad was a preacher. And from the beginning, I was expected to love Jesus. I was expected to believe in Jesus. And that meant by the time I was 13, you know, I was expected to have the Baptist blow-dry haircut. Uh, You know, the peer pressure that I experienced as a kid was to... You know, wear the Christian t-shirt. So I had um, God's gym. I wore that one. Um, this blood's for you. Yeah, I had that one too. And, and from the beginning, I was a fan. I was a fan of Jesus. In fact, in my room, this is true, in my room, next to a poster of Michael Jordan, I had a picture of Jesus Christ. And that kind of captures it. I, mean, I was a fan of Michael and I was a fan of Jesus. I wanted to be like Jesus, but I wanted to be like Mike. <laughs> And, uh, and I thought that was enough. And what I've discovered over the years is that there are just a lot of Christians who are enthusiastic admirers of Jesus. They're fans. But then if you read through the Gospels, you discover that Jesus was never too interested in having fans. What he wanted, what he wanted was followers. He, he wasn't so concerned about the size of the crowd that was with him. He, can, he cared about the commitment of the people who were following him. You know, there's a passage of scripture that doesn't often get quoted, and it comes from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's Jesus, and he says, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, for a lot of people, that invitation to follow Jesus by denying yourself and taking up your cross, oftentimes that isn't included in the presentation of the gospel. And they got the John 3.16, but the Luke 9.23 somehow got left out. But here, here's what I have discovered, that for me and for others on this journey, that it's not enough just to be a fan. That until you completely surrender your life to Jesus Christ, and until you give Him every part of you, you'll never experience the real life, the true life that He wants you to have. And so um, you're going to hear some different stories of people on this website 
who have gone from being a fan of Jesus, just an enthusiastic admirer, to being a follower of Jesus. And they have said, I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to hold nothing back and to give everything I have to Jesus Christ. I, I don't know if you're a fan. Maybe you're someone, though, like me, who wanted to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it required sacrifice. You, you wanted to follow Jesus into heaven, but you didn't necessarily want to take a cross with you. But the only invitation that Jesus offered was an invitation to die to yourself and to find life in him. When we move from being a fan, just an enthusiastic admirer, to being a follower of Jesus Christ, that's when we truly find the life that he wants us to have. My name is Kyle Eidelman, and I'm not a fan. I was um, Pastor Kyle Eidelman. He wrote a book, Not a Fan. He did a short mini-series about it. If you want to look it up on YouTube, it's really interesting. Uh, it's very convicting. A message tonight might convict you, but I just want to tell you that I'm not the one that's convicting you. Um, how many people here are baseball fans? Watch the World Series, right? Boston won, unfortunately. I'm a big Yankee fan, and I watch the Yankees all the time. And when they're winning, I'm happy. When they're losing, I'm not. And more so, I, I, I turn off the TV when I see them losing all the time, doing, losing games and striking out and not getting hits when they're supposed to. And that's what a fan does. First you like them, then you don't like them. You, know, you love them and you don't love them. Boston won the World Series. They had a big parade about a month and a half ago. But now the thrill is gone. Right? The thrill isn't there anymore. So there's a story about Babe Ruth, who used to be a Yankee also and played on the Boston Red Sox. He was at the end of his career. He was playing his game in Cincinnati. And it was going towards his last couple of games of his career. And he, he was kept striking out. He couldn't swing anymore. Uh, and on the last strikeout of the game, the fans started to boo him. And they booed him so badly that all of a sudden this little boy jumped out of the stands, ran onto the field, put his arms around his legs, and looked up with tears in his eyes. So Babe just lifted him up, carried him to the dugout. And as he was carrying the dugout, the fans stopped booing. They stand up in tribute. Fans can be fickle. One moment they're cheering, the next moment they're booing. One moment they're standing in respectful tribute. The next day, they're, they're nowhere to be found. Some things, same thing happened to Jesus. They cheered him as he entered Jerusalem, and five days later, they shouted, crucify him. Today, we're going to talk about the difference between a fan and a follower. Are you a fan of Jesus, or are you a follower? When Jesus was asked what was the greatest of the commandments, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. That's the most important thing. But notice how we are to love God with all we got. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. This is what our mission is to help people become wholehearted followers of Christ. Nothing less than full devotion. 95% is 5% short. 
So what is our purpose when we become Christians? What are we supposed to be doing? Love God with all we, all we got. That's the first and the most important thing. Win our friends to Jesus. Grow to become all God wants us to be. And do God's work in all in the world. Today's talk is going to be about love, growing in love with God, with all we got, and growing to become all God wants us to be. Jesus is looking for wholehearted followers, not just fans. There's lots of discussion these days about the state of the American church. Is it dying? Is it filled with consumers of religious services rather than the disciples of Jesus? Are we spectators at a religious event on a Sunday morning? Or are you participating in God's kingdom all week long? Are we followers or are we just fans? How many of you have Facebook? Right? If, if Jesus was on Facebook, he would have lots of friends, wouldn't he? Actually, I think he might be on Facebook. He might have like over three million friends there. But the crowds, he attached large crowds all the time. And when the going got tough, the crowds disappeared and only the followers were left. Jesus wants to have a talk with us. Did you ever have to be in a relationship, and I'm talking to all the married guys now, when you're dating your wife for a long time, it's been like five years or so, right? And you have to come to the decision to have the talk. You guys have had the talk, right? You talk to your wife, your future wife, and say, well, what are we doing? What's going on with this relationship? It's just a weekend thing. I call it the DTR talk. You find the relationship. What are we doing? Right? I remember the talk I had with my wife. And uh, she came to me one day and she said, Robert, what are we doing? I go, what do you mean, what are we doing? I mean, well, what are we doing with this relationship? Are, are, are we just a weekend thing or what? I said, oh, I don't know, pretty good. But it comes to a time in a, in a relationship where you have to make a decision what you're going to do. Right? I think Jesus wants to have that DTR talk with us. Think that you're sitting in Dunkin' Donuts one day and Jesus walks in the door. You know it's Jesus because he has a white robe on. Nobody else wears that. Right? Right? And he sits down and he says to you, I want to talk about our relationship. He wants to know what, how you feel about him. Is the relationship exclusive? Is it just a casual weekend thing? Or has it moved beyond that? What exactly is your level of commitment? Are you a follower of Jesus? Many of us automatically say this, yeah, of course I am. And we have all the same excuses. Right? We say, well, I'm a follower. I go to church at least twice a month. I own three Bibles. I have a ringtone worship song on my, on my phone as a ringtone, right? I read Purpose Driven Life less, in less than 40 days. Right? We all have those kind of answers, but is that really being a follower? Actually, all those things show is that you belong to a Christian subculture, but you can't belong to that and still, just, and still be just a fan of Jesus, not a follower. What are the differences between a fan and a follower of Jesus? Let's look at the story that's in John 6. A large crowd, thousands of people, are listening to Jesus as he teaches near the lake, near the Sea of Galilee. At the end of the day, Jesus decides to feed them. You know the story. 
He takes a small boy's lunch, I call it a happy meal, and he feeds 5,000 people, 5,000 men. When people saw that Jesus had done this, they were impressed and wanted to make him king, right on the spot. Imagine having a king that can multiply happy meals and provide food, free food for everyone. That's pretty awesome, right? But Jesus knew that they were thinking and thinking what they were thinking and slipped away. The next morning, the crowd realized that Jesus wasn't there and went looking for him. They found him on the other side of the sea, and they asked Jesus for another happy meal. They wanted to be fed some more. But Jesus makes it clear that they are looking for the wrong thing. In John 6, 26, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about the perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. So Jesus criticized them because they were looking for their physical needs and the temporary benefits of what Jesus could give them, not their spiritual hunger. Some people, they use religion for their own purposes, to gain prestige, comfort, even political votes. Those are all self-centered. You follow Jesus for the truth and the right way to live. They were looking for Jesus to get a free lunch, but Jesus says the buffet line is closed. You missed the point. Stop thinking about food and start thinking about the uh, eternal life I wanted to give you. They continue to miss the point, something that I think that a lot of us are prone to do. When we hear the word of Jesus, sometimes we just don't get it. So when Jesus talks about the bread of God that gives life to the world, they said, give us that bread every day. In John 6, 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He wasn't talking about the physical bread that nourished us body. He's talking about the spiritual bread. This is not what they wanted to hear. And people began to grumble. Suddenly, Jesus is the only thing on the menu. They wanted real food, not a happy meal. Not some mumbo-jumbo about Jesus being the bread of life. They're not happy. They're rather than smoothing this out, Jesus makes it worse as he goes on. In John 6, 53, verse 53 to 55, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. That'll clean up a crowd real quick. Flesh, eat my flesh, eat my blood. What is Jesus talking about? He's got to be out of his mind, right? Nobody understood what he was talking about. What he says about eating my flesh and eating my blood is that you have to accept Christ into your life. His life has to, has to become your life. That's exactly what he's talking about. But the people there couldn't understand that. That really finished them off. Not only was the buffet line closed, but now Jesus is talking crazy. Eating my flesh and drinking his blood. What is, what, what is he thinking? In John 6, 66 to 68, it says at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. 
Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. The fans deserted them. Deserted him. Those who wanted to make him king yesterday now walk away, crumbling and unhappy. You know what I know what I find interesting is that Jesus didn't chase after them. He didn't soften his message to make it more appealing. Jesus seemed okay with the fact that he's probably his popularity took a big hit. It wasn't the size of the crowd that Jesus cared about. It was level of commitment. This isn't only the time, the only time that like this that this happened when crowds gathered. Jesus often said things that sent people heading for home. For example, it says in Luke 14, 25 to 27, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus, what was Jesus saying by carrying your own cross? The Romans used to make people carry their own cross before they were crucified. It was a symbol of submission. And to the observers that saw this, the people carrying their own cross to die, it was a warning to them. But Jesus uses it here to say, follow me, Follow Christ and have total submission to me, to him, even to death. Even in our home group, we talked about what it would be like if someone took over this country and came into this country and, and totally took it over and took us and said to us, if you don't deny Christ, I'm going to cut your head off, which happens in the Middle East. How many people would allow that to happen? Would you allow yourself to be cut off like that? Something to think about. Something to think of where your commitment is. A big crowd follows Jesus and he starts telling them to hate their moms. That's the only way, that's one way to thin out a crowd. He told them that they needed to carry their own cross that will thin out a crowd in a minute. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book said, The Cost of Discipleship says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And it wasn't just crowds that Jesus challenged. He challenged individuals too. Think of the rich young ruler in Luke 18, 18 verse 30. If Jesus was looking for a poster boy, this would be the perfect person. This guy was rich, and he was a devout, uh, devout person that he could say to Jesus, I've kept all your commandments since I was a boy. This is one righteous dude. Right? I'm sure the disciples are thinking, sign this guy up right away, you make a great Christian. But Jesus knew better. He knew that this young man was not wholehearted, that there was, no, that there was one thing that was holding him back. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Then come follow me. The young man walked away sad. He couldn't let go of his stuff. He couldn't follow with his whole heart. He was just a fan. I'm sure the disciples were thinking, Jesus, what's wrong with you? This dude was awesome. But Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Sometimes we worry about our stuff, that we let our stuff get in the way in following Jesus. 
worry about our cars, our house, our home. We should put Jesus, be committed to Jesus and putting him first ahead of things and not having a substitute for them. The dictionary defines a fan as an enthusiastic, enthusiastic admirer. Are fans good? Sure, we're all fans of certain people and things. Enthusiastic admirers, everyone wants fans. We all want others to admire us. It's not that being a fan is bad, it's that for Jesus it's not enough. It falls short. You can admire Jesus even enthusiastically and still not follow him. Fans are fine, but fans won't change the world. There are a few differences between fans and followers from our story in John 6. Fans are in it for them. Followers are in it for God. Fans want the goodies. Followers want Jesus. The crowd wanted a happy meal, and when Jesus offered himself, it wasn't enough. Fans come and go. Followers stay. Maybe this is why Jesus was never impressed by the size of the crowds. He knew that they were very temporary. He knew that they were fans. Fans are fickle. Followers are faithful. Fans are sort of in. Followers are all in. The crowds followed Jesus around for a day or two and then went back to their lives. But when Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James, John and Matthew, it says, and they left everything and followed him. They were all in, wholehearted, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. There is no such thing as a sort of follower of Jesus, just a fan. But for tonight, I want to honestly just search your heart and ask yourself, am I a follower of Jesus? Am I making an honest effort to love God with all I've got? Am I trying to live, to live for God? Don't take it lightly, what Jesus has to say to us when he asks us to follow his commandments. If we look at Matthew 7, 21 to 23, I think it's the most frightening verse, frightening verses in, in the Bible, or at least one of them. It says this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of, the he- of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, you prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who, got, who break God's laws. I want you to know that Jesus said, on that day many will stay, say to me. Not a few, or some, many. Jesus is saying that on Judgment Day, many people who thought they were following Jesus will discover but they weren't. I never knew you. Jesus will say, are you following Je-? Jesus? will say, are you following Jesus? It's not a question to treat lightly. I'm not trying to make you doubt your faith or whether you're a Christian. I'm trying to make you think and pray and be honest before God. Am I a follower of Jesus? It might help to define more I told you the definition of a fan. What is the definition of a follower of Jesus? Have an authentic, authentic relationship with God. A follower has an authentic relationship with God. You love God with all you've got. You know God and God knows you. You talk with each other. 
Christianity is fundamentally relational. It's about loving God with all you've got and loving people. Becoming more like Christ, a follower is growing and becoming more like Christ all the time. When you get to know the Lord, the first thing that changes is you. Your character is changing. You become a new and different person. God is at work in your life. Have a healthy relationship with others. A follower is building healthy relationships with others. Your relationship with God transforms you. And the new you has a better relationship with others. You become a better husband, a wife, a better mom, a dad, a better friend, a better employer or employee, a better neighbor. And fourth, I'm using my gifts to serve others. A follower uses his gifts to serve others. When you have a relationship with God that transforms you, your relationship with others, you have something worth sharing. Followers understand that they are blessed to be a blessing. So how do you become a wholehearted follower? Meet together in church and life groups. Seek God in daily prayer, Bible reading. Serve others in our church and community. Give to God's work in, in our church and to the poor. Share your faith with others. These are five things we do, we do to know God better and to grow as followers of Christ. All I want to say tonight is look at the list and ask yourself, what are you doing and what are you doing now? What do you need to do better? What do you need to step up in? Are you following Jesus or coasting? Are you all in? Let me just finish with, with this. Being committed is not easy. Having a relationship with the Lord is not easy. Let me tell you a story that Kyle wrote in his book. Kyle tells a story about a young man in his church before meeting Jesus. His life consisted of, in his words, going out, drinking, smoking pot, and chasing girls. But when he met Jesus, this guy did a 180-degree turn and went all in. One day, he asked if Kyle would meet with him and his mom. Kyle knew that his mom went to another church in town. He assumed that she wanted to thank him for the change in her son's life, but she didn't. She was upset with Kyle and the church and her son. He's taken all this too far, she says. She wasn't pleased with all the time he spent at church or what he was, uh, or what he was passing out CDs or the sermons or that he was giving some of his hard-earned money to the church or that he was t- talking about going on a mission trip. Frustrated, she asked, can you please tell him that the Bible teaches everything in moderation? Can you please tell him that it doesn't have to be all or nothing? Kyle pointed out that Jesus never said everything in moderation. He did say, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. Followers are all in with all your heart. So I'll ask you once again tonight, are you a fan or are you a follower? Let's pray. You've been listening to 
to every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.